Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. If you played EA Sports video games in 2005, or if you simply tuned into the radio, you couldn't escape Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out, a disco-inspired rock song with an unusual structure and an even stranger music video. Critics showered praise on this stylish band's hook-laden dance music, and although the song only reached number 66 on the Hot 100, it has become an inescapable classic that remains relevant even today. At the request of our Patreon supporters, we're diving deeper into the band this week to understand what all the hype was about. gonna go ahead and assume that you're a franz ferdinand fan i definitely am there's a lot of bands that sound like this that i like more than this band but i do have like three of their albums i like them enough (laughs) three of their albums yeah i think you probably like them uh this i went into this being like oh this band this song 
I never liked this song. And when I was looking into this band and listening more and learning more about them, I realized why I don't like them. It's It was so clear as day. The year 2005, I was playing three video games. Oh, God. It was in every video game at that time. Madden 05. <laughs> yep. NHL 05 and Guitar Hero. It was on all three of those. I don't know how it's possible that they were on both NHL and Madden. I don't know if that's ever happened before that the same song was on both games. And I was playing both games and the song played so much during the games. That's my biggest complaint about this song is why is this song played so freaking much even now? I, I don't understand. I, I think it's weird to me because when you look at this song's chart standing, it's debatable if it's even something we can right. cover. Right. Like it peaked at 66. And and technically they had another single that peaked at 76, which makes us go like, well, does this even count? I would say that my go-to was also the Spotify of it all. This song had... 700 million more streams than their other single that charted like that across the board just this is the song this is the song that people know by this band i think i was shocked by in my mind this was like a little weird indie song that kind of like got there on got onto the charts and and like we're gonna jump ahead a little bit so the the music video for take me out actually won the uh, VMA for Breakthrough Music Video sure. Award. The music video is cool. Yeah, the music video is cool. I don't mind the music I, video. But I, I'm going to read to you who else was in that nomination, who else was like nominated for that. And at least three of those artists feel like how I imagine this band to be in level of popularity. Like Indie Darling that had a hit, right? So the two that aren't, that don't fall into that category out the gate is newfound glory all downhill from here was up for that award. And Kanye West all falls down was up for the breakthrough video award. Um, also on there was modest mouse float on, which right. I definitely see a connection. Um, Stereograms walkie talkie, man. Do you remember that video at all? It was like the ju- It was like the all yarn music video. Uh, yeah, I do think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a re- very memorable song. It's got like a cool like like guitar riff, but the whole video is made out of yarn. It's a stop motion yarn music video. It's insane. And then this band was obviously way bigger than Modest Mouse, Franz Ferdinand and and Stereogram, but the White Stripes hardest button to button, like another band that kind of fits in that like mm-hmm. indie darlings that have unexpected radio success. I don't think I understood truly how big of a, like, how much the press loved oh, this band. The critical acclaim <laughs> is just, I. it's almost like, are you, are you kidding? You like this that much? Now, let me start by saying, musically, it's a solid song. It's a good it's, song. It has a good beat. You could dance to it. I think that was the whole appeal to it. What was missing I think for that me, it's like three and, different songs, which I think is well, what yeah. makes it cool. It almost feels like three songs kind of like Frankenstein together. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have a dramatic uh, tempo reduction after like the first minute of the song that goes to the <laughs> most recognizable part of the song. The, yeah. the riff but then it gets is even, so huge in this song. 
but then even the bridge suddenly gets like disco-y out of anywhere I mean, out of nowhere where it gets in that i know i won't be leaving here right. like all of a sudden it's like picking up again it's it's a really interesting song and maybe that's why it was so popular you know but, what i mean like we talk about that a lot of the time is like if you make a song that's so weird that people can't help but try to dissect it maybe that's i i like i can understand why it was on three different video games because it kind of scratches I'm sure that like when you were playing it in video games, they may have even cut out the first minute of oh, it. Oh, of course. You know it I mean? was only you know that I mean? riff. It, that riff. Yeah. <laughs> it would be, you know, before a play in, in Madden or it would be, you know, during a menu on NHL or, yeah. you know, before a face-off or whatever. And that, that riff would play. And it's just like, oh, my God. I, Of course, that's always been a huge goal to get a song onto an EA sports game. I'm a sports fan. So yeah. getting a song on NHL or Madden or something was like, oh my God, that would be incredible. The downside of that is it teaches people to really hate your song when they hear it too much. <laughs> I guess maybe Tony Hawk is the exception of the rule because people really seem to love those like punk and ska songs from the Tony Hawk game. So I don't know. Obviously, what I think it helped the flip side, the flip side of it probably did. I think the flip side with the Tony Hawk games is that most of those Tony Hawk songs also weren't being played on the radio and all over MTV at the exact same time. Yeah. I mean, there's something disco was the right word. It's very much like yeah. disco rock. I, this band's whole catalog is kind of that. And if you had, if you'd, don't like disco, just forget it. <laughs> if, yeah. If you have, and I think what's, what, okay. I went further in and, and I'm going to, we're going to go through my journey as we uh, explore them in this episode. But I think my first complaint about them and this song, and this is a taste thing, I guess, is it's danceable. Yes. And it has lots of hooks, but it lacks any like feeling or emotion as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what mood I would put this song on other than sports event while there's a commercial break. Like I, I don't know, like even dancing. I mean, I guess it depends on how drunk I was, but there's well, just, if I wanted to dance to something, there are a thousand songs I would pick over this song. I guess maybe not when it comes to dancing while watching a rock band play. I guess that, yeah, but it, I don't know. It's weird because one of the first things I saw when I was doing research for this is that the the main songwriter, Alex, said yeah. that the idea of the song's theme came when they watched the sniper's duel scene in Enemy at the Gates and that it felt like a good metaphor for the kind of romantic situations that we sometimes find ourselves in. And I was like, this song? <laughs> like, I was kind of like, what? And then I was like, I guess I never paid attention to the fact that there are these lyrics like, I'm just a crosshair, I'm just a shot away from you. Like, they're using, like, sniper metaphors in the verses, but that all falls apart with the, like, kind of repetitive chorus slash pre-chorus slash verse hook, whatever, that doesn't really say anything. Like, it's catchy, but it doesn't have anything that it's saying beyond that. Well, I think you could have stopped that. The lyric, I, I couldn't have named, maybe take me out because that's the name of the song. 
I don't even hear the lyrics in this song. All I hear is da na 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 da na 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 and the beat. Like that is all I hear when I hear this song. And hey, that's cool. That's catchy. It's definitely lived on. I could have done with never hearing this song again. I'm I'm really good on this song. And it's not that I think it's a bad song. I think it's obviously a really well constructed song. It's a it's a it's a great song that I doesn't resonate with me whatsoever. <laughs> you know, there's no emotion to it or something. I, I I don't feel it. Maybe maybe there is and I'm wrong about that, but it doesn't do anything for me. But that being said, I went down a Franz Ferdinand journey and when I came out the other side of it, I was, I, I thought to myself, well, I I guess I like this band. Uh, yeah, you might not you might not like the hit, but you yeah. might like everything else. I I have a quote about this particular song that I think is really interesting from the the main songwriter and vocalist Alex, uh, who said, "When we were writing the songs, we concluded that the verses sounded better when they were played faster, and the choruses sounded better when played slower, and we couldn't quite work it out. And then I had this idea that we're just going to take all of the verses." put them at the front of the song and then we're going to slow it down and just repetitively play the chorus, which is absolutely kind of the wrong way to do it. Work. It's it's like, that is, could you, would, could you ever in the 25 years that you've been in a band, imagine pitching the idea of like, Hey guys, what if we just put every single verse in the first minute of the song and then just play the chorus for two minutes? Well, what I would say is that especially a tempo change is involved yeah. in that as well. So structure aside, I think that anybody I play music with would be would just be like, let's just make these two different songs. <laughs> like 99.9% <laughs> of people would have said, hey, these parts are cool. Let's make them two different songs. And... I guess we got to give Franz Ferdinand credit for being like, nope, we're going to we're going to make this a song and it's it's going to be one of the biggest songs ever and critics are going to lose their absolute minds over it. I dude, the critic thing, I do not get it. I these music publications in their instance, we're talking about NME. They're over in the UK. I was going to say who so who I was going to say who is NME cuz I see their name constantly on research and I I know that they are an established publication. But like, it's you like, know, I know Pitchfork. I hear Pitchfork. I'm like, I know what Pitchfork represents. When I hear Rolling Stone, I kind of have a vibe for what Rolling Stone represents. Is NME like British indie music specifically focused or just? N- not just indie. It's all music. Okay. It, it's, it's all music? It's, okay. It's basically a UK Rolling Stone. Okay. And, and you that makes sense. Up- I just wasn't sure. Because like when you hear Pitchfork... You think of like they're gonna really be into the like obscure indie shit for the most part. That's gonna be like their their thing. Rolling Stone is usually like a little bit more like well known, established rock mm-hmm. in my mind. Sources like your rap magazine. So I wasn't sure if they were like all encompassing or if they were like very focused on a specific genre. I always assumed that NME. Obviously, I'm not a reader, but it's kind of yeah. just what I've learned from doing podcasts for, for a long time. Uh, I always assumed they were rock based, but then I've mm-hmm. seen rappers on their cover and stuff too. Right. So, so yeah, they're just it, all, all across. Yeah. They named this album, the self-titled album, the best album of 2004. And right. then they placed it at 38 on the 100 best albums of all time. How do list. you do that? 
How do you yeah. put a band from that year? It, they, it was the same year they did that, right? Yeah. How I do you so. instantly put it to number 38? Don't you need a little bit of, of time to look back on it? Can't you be like, <laughs> hey, we're thinking about putting this on. Why instantly put that on? Is it so two guys can flip out about it on a podcast uh, decades Maybe. later or what? Maybe. Well, and like, let's not even take away. Here's all of the take me out credits. All of the big ones that I wrote down. Q Magazine put it as the 41 uh, best guitar track uh, of all time. Uh, that same magazine also put it as the 34th greatest track ever performed by a British band, NME. That's, that's very specific. And yeah. what is Q Magazine? <laughs> I have no clue. Okay. <laughs> NME put Take Me Out at number 16 on the 50 greatest indie anthems of all time. MTV2 placed it at number 7 on a similar list. Uh, October 2011 NME placed it at 27 on the list of the 150 best tracks of the last 15 years. Pitchfork ranked the song as 44th on its top 100 or top 500 tracks of the 2000s. And Rolling Stone in its 2010 updated version of the 500 greatest songs of all time put it at number 327. Well, I guess me not really liking this song. I guess I'm just wrong. I guess yeah. that's all they say. I'm I'm just wrong. Uh, and it, once again, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good song. I just think it's it was overplayed. I kind of wonder if I hadn't had it beaten into my brain through video games at the time it came out, if maybe I would have a more favorable opinion of it or something. It's possible. I, I mean, uh, so the other big thing that came up was obviously the Grammys also threw a ton of nominations on this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was nominated. The song was nominated for the best rock performance of the year by a duo or group with vocals. And their album was nominated for the best alternative album of that year. Now, this album came out in 2004. By 2005, they're already putting out their second album called You Could Have It So Much Better. Uh, and that actually received a lot of press saying that it was an album equal to, if not even better than the self-titled debut. And that's where we get the, uh, probably their second biggest single comes off of that particular record, which was called, Oh no, I'm blanking on the name of the song. Um, do you want to, okay. which, yeah, I mean it, but it was like for this two year period, this was like, the biggest thing happening in like the indie slash British rock <laughs> sound well, across the board for critics. They could not get enough of this record. Yeah, and people couldn't either. I mean, that second album came out and it went to number one on the UK charts. It went to number eight on the US charts. Um, yeah, it outperformed the self-titled on the actual charts, like yeah. as far as album sales. It's crazy. People liked it. I mean... Also, one more thing about the debut album for Franz Ferdinand. It won the Mercury Prize. Now, do you know what the Mercury Prize is? I don't, actually. It's uh, awarded to the best album released by a musical act from the UK or Ireland. And, you know, when you look back at the list of who won, it's a pretty impressive list. Franz Ferdinand won it for their debut album. You know who they beat? Do they? I'm trying to think of British bands real quick. Do, um there's some impressive I, ones that they beat. Let, let's just let's just hear them. The streets a grand don't come for free. Oh, I that would have been. I mean, mine. that's a lot of people. A lot of people say that's their best album. It's not my favorite, but 
A I lot of people love, love that album. That album. Yeah. Um, Amy Winehouse, Frank. Now, Frank. Frank's all right. Frank has a couple yeah. good songs on it's, it. But the, it's not the follow-up yeah, album at yeah, all, though. Yeah, yeah, it's not Back to Black. And um, Bell and Sebastian's Dear Catastrophe Waitress, my favorite Bell and Sebastian album. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like that album a lot, too. I'm definitely more of a If You're Feeling Sinister uh, <laughs> Well, fan, anyway. But, and there was also a bunch more. There yeah. were like 10, 10 bands and artists those are, nominated. Those are... Yeah, none of the, those are not anyone to to slouch at. Those are all like can't big, slouch at them. <laughs> can't slouch them. <laughs> um, I'm making up my own phrases yeah. on this podcast, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, I, I know your your boy. You know you made it. How do you know you made it, Matt? Weird Al Yankovic did this in a polka, baby. He sure did. He sure did. Straight out of Limwood. Yep. And how could he not? Uh, so yeah, they continued on, and here's where I'll say the turn started to happen for me a little bit. I feel like I've been very negative about them and I shouldn't be. I mean, the musicianship's great. There's no doubt about it. And to make something danceable is very cool. I like that. Yeah. I would also say that it's not shocking that they're a very tight musical band because we didn't really talk about the origins, but this is almost, I don't call them a super group because none of their previous bands were popular or famous, but this is like one of those classic examples of like a bunch of dudes who are in a bunch of different bands all collaborating together. Like their origins are like all of them were playing in these different Scottish bands mm-hmm. and then they all like came together and formed. And usually when that happens, it's like the most musically proficient members of all of these different bands find like a a connection to each other. And then you get this like crazy tight group of like. Right. really talented dude i mean i think one of them was like friends with the guys from bell and sebastian well alex like, yeah. funny enough you say that the one person in the band who wasn't that was bob hardy the bassist uh alex taught bob how to play bass after being given a bass by mick cook from bell and sebastian yeah so i mean they were like already they had some type of connection i also love their their name was that they were watching a horse race yeah. and one of the horses was named the Archduke Ferdinand. Yeah. And that got them talking about the history of Franz Ferdinand and they liked the alliteration, thought that'd be a good name. But their drummer, Paul, said, uh, I like the idea that if we ever became popular, maybe the words Franz Ferdinand would make people think of a band instead of a historical figure. Right. And I think he's achieved that for the yeah, most Yeah, I think so. That's a shame, <laughs> considering the assassination of Franz Ferdinand is kind of what set off... Kicked off World War II. World War I. World War I, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so also, you did something. You did both pronunciations when you were just talking, Matt, because I would have assumed it was Franz Ferdinand, but... I watched an interview with them, and they say Franz Ferdinand. So, yeah. for the record, Franz Ferdinand. Unless I'm misinterpreting their accent. I don't know. Maybe. Well, so, hey, I, it's stri- straight from the racehorse's mouth. Speaking of <laughs> starting to change my opinion on Franz Ferdinand, the band, um, I watched their... <laughs> I always love a good... Nardwar interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I always like when the band or artist is nice to Nardwar. I can't stand it when someone doesn't get Nardwar and is like a dick to him. I, I hate yeah. that. But these guys, they seem like really nice guys. <laughs> they, I, I really, one of my, comp- another one of my complaints with them is it was more to me, more style 
than substance. Everything about them was like more about the style, even their clothing, the way they, they dressed. They went back to, you know, dressing sharp. And there's nothing wrong with dressing sharp, yeah. you know, but it just all seemed like this packaged, perfect thing. And just even down to the press they got. It almost yeah. felt like, are you guys all in on something that I'm not in on? <laughs> I, I, I kind of felt that way. Didn't we talk about this to a certain extent about the strokes? How when the strokes came out, it was like, why are all the music publications just falling over themselves about this? It almost feels like something weird is going on. It was, well, so this was like my time, uh, I would say. This was like 2001. Either it's late freshman year of high school or early sophomore year of high school. And MTV2 is like finally come to my town. It's a big deal. We get we have music videos again. And that was when the whole the band craze sure. was popping off. And I was all in on it. Like I loved every single one of them. And each one of them, I would say, like fell into a different category for me. Like the hives was this frantic, like almost punk rock, like weird band from Sweden. And then, you know, you had the White Stripes that was just like these indie, like you could just tell they were indie darlings. I think with the strokes, I remember just watching the last night video for the first time. And the the two words to describe it were like effortlessly cool. Like, like there was just something about the band where you just look at them and you're like, these guys are just cool. And if there's one thing I've learned about music critics, most of them aren't cool and mm. will gravitate to people who seem really cool. Wow. So I, yeah, no, I'm You I'm, would think they would gravitate to other people who also aren't cool. <laughs> you'd think that, but like let's be fair. A lot of as speaking as a not cool person from high school, secretly we do kind of want to be cool. Wow. So if there's like someone who's cool that also, it's like not only do they seem cool, but it seems like they're cool and have the same musical reference point as what I like. It's like, mm -hmm. ooh, I like these well, guys. It's it's like when you find out that like the you know if you found out that like the quarterback on your high school football team was also like really into rancid, mm -hmm. you'd be like, hey, I got something in common with the with yeah. the football hero. All <laughs> like, right, all right. If you say so, I mean, and there's nothing to back up me thinking there's some sort of conspiracy because major labels wanted to sign Franz Ferdinand, but yet they opted to sign with an indie label. Um, yep. Everything they did was just kind of like the cool decision, the, the, the more cool decision. There was one thing I found, Matt, uh -oh. and this has nothing. There's no way that this is <laughs> that you can attribute Franz Ferdinand success to this, but they did have a little bit of a payola scandal um, apparently, Ooh. I don't know if it was a label. I don't know who's making the payments, but a a uh, radio station in Buffalo was paid. Some DJ was paid $4,000 to play. Take me out on the radio station there. Now I say that you do sometimes need a spark. You need a radio station to start playing you. So other ones will see that you got added to a playlist and maybe start playing you too. Uh, but I think it would be a real stretch to think that $4,000 paid to a radio station in Buffalo sparked the <laughs> giant uh, things that followed for Franz Ferdinand. So we'll, we'll not count that. 
Um, It'd be different if it was paid to like K-Rock or something yeah, where it's like right. everybody's looking at K-Rock to see what they're putting right. on their playlist. Well, unless they but. did pay K-Rock and Buffalo is the only one who got busted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could be it too. I mean, That is well, also true. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Paola, I think it's shitty, but I always just assumed that's what happened. Why, yeah. are, why are the songs on the radio being played? It's because someone's being paid for them to play it. That's what I always assumed that. I, I think I was like 35 when I learned like, oh, that's not what happens? Or are we supposed to pretend that's not what happens? Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Hey, one hit thunders, thunderheads, thunder buns. All right. I'll just go with One Hit Thunder listeners. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song that they have written. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites such as Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurwitz, up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu, and even some of the artists that have been featured on One Hit Thunder. The show is even produced by One Hit Thunder host Chris Fafalius. What more could you possibly ask for? Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. I guarantee you'll like it, or we'll give you your money back. Let's start saying some nice stuff about Franz Ferdinand. They're obviously a really good band. Every interview yeah. I watch with them, they're down to earth. They super appreciate the fact that this was such a big song. Alex still loves the song. He's one of those guys who's outspoken about like, I don't understand when bands don't like their their big song. Like, yeah. if you if you don't like it, don't play it, but don't moan about it. That's what he said. Yeah. I, 
I agree. If you're lucky enough to have some song that hits, you better love that thing. <laughs> Just love it. Yeah. It's awesome that you have that. I love that about him. Uh, they released their third album, Tonight, Franz Ferdinand, in January of 2009. Of course, they played every big Glastonbury, Coachella. They were part of Green Day's 21st Century Breakdown World Tour, which I, wow. thought, was, I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, because the other bands... Bill. The other bands, like, they did one leg of it, and the other bands that did legs of that were, like, Kaiser Chiefs and The Bravery, all bands, like, within the same style. Like, at that moment, yeah. they must have really wanted, like, a a dance, did, a dancey band you, to open. Did you hear the, not, not the one that comes out this year, but the most recent Green Day album, the, like, uh, Father of All Motherfuckers, I think it's called? Mm-hmm. What about it? A lot of people, I, I don't think it's a, particularly great green day album but i don't hate it but a lot of people hated that album because they said why is green day trying to sound like franz franz ferdinand and like the hives and all of these like old like these like 2001 garage rock bands and i think that that's just secretly a style of music billy joe armstrong really really likes right it's (laughs) and it makes sense (laughs) It's He's dancing. like, I want people to fucking dance. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> like, I get that. Also, Matt, I love that you you gave Franz Ferdinand a third pronunciation, which yep. is I can, Franz I've, I've been Ferdinand. trying to do as many as I can. Through, <laughs> I'm getting, trying to get people drunk. How many more pronounce the name of this band? Uh, <laughs> they released their fourth album, Right Thoughts, Right Words, Right Action, in August of 2013. Then, in March of 2015, they formed a supergroup with Sparks under the name FFS. Nice. Do you know Sparks? I know Sparks. I actually just watched the documentary about them like a year ago. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. They had a song called uh, Johnny Delusional. It's all right. But Sparks is pretty interesting. I didn't know a lot about Sparks, but, uh, you know, and I would assume that some of our listeners don't too, but check out the song, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. Great song. They are like progressive disco or something they're just very very strange definitely always making weird faces that's one of the big things about them people like to talk about that they're strange looking and always making strange faces um they also had a hit in 1979 called the number one song in heaven which was a a pretty strange one uh but anyway fun fact uh related to sparks and myself indirectly uh, the first ever recording of Weird Algorithm happened the night after Matt Milligan came home from a Sparks concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I could have told you he liked Sparks. <laughs> as far as Franz Ferdinand, as increasing my, my liking of Franz Ferdinand, they released the song Demagogue in 2016, which was a song protesting the candidacy of Donald Trump. I thought that was pretty cool. It was part of a... Um, it was part of this... Uh, 30 Days, 50 Songs Project, which was a bunch of different bands and artists who all had songs advocating against voting for Donald Trump, which didn't work (laughs) in 2016. Uh, It worked four years later, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, And uh, then here's another thing I'll say. They released the song Billy Goodbye in November 2021. This might be my favorite Franz Ferdinand song, and it's like a more recent one. It's really upbeat and feel good. They released... The single Curious in January of 2022 from the album Hits to the Head, which came out in March 2022. It's okay. I I think they're pretty cool. I don't think I'm going to be listening to them, but they definitely, did they influence? Like you brought up Float On by Modest Mouse. That's obviously, I like Float On more. That was right around the same time. So I don't know 
if this song influenced Modest Mouse. I would guess. Well, I wouldn't. No. I would say no because Modest Mouse had a solid decade of yeah, but not not a solid records. decade of sounding like. No, no, that's for sure. I actually, it's weird because that is an album. The good news for people who like bad news. That's probably my favorite Modest Mouse record, and I feel like a lot of the diehards see that as like the album where Modest Mouse stopped being a band for them. <laughs> um, but that's dumb. yeah, that is a weird, trippy album. I I don't think it could have been it because they came out so close to one another. Right, it must have just been a vibe in the ether of people yeah. wanting to do stuff kind of like that. But then in the following years, there are a lot of things that were probably influenced by that. E-Pro from Beck was kind of that feel. That Yeah. Dude, that I would have guessed that this song was was uh Franz Ferdinand. That song Paralyzer by Finger 11. Do you know that song? Yeah. It sounds like they were doing that. And that was a few years later. Um I saw some people say Electric Feel might have been I don't know about I, I don't know. I mean, just because the song's dancey. Uh, Phoenix. Phoenix is a band. Now, Phoenix is a band that does the dance thing. I just like their melodies and their the lyrics and their style so much more than what Franz Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand is a lot more garagey. Maybe that's can the I, issue I have. Can I pitch this out there, too? Is, you know, I do think that Franz Ferdinand, like the, the success of Take Me Out, I do think is influential in in its own right to to music but like talking about like what may have been in the air that created this like kind of disco dancey vibe i mean while these weren't mainstream explosions you have to think that like people who are in that indie rock stratus like that that little globe of indie rock at this point the sister scissor sister uh the scissor <laughs> sisters right. had put out an album which was like super disco like that was like just a straight disco record and this is the year after give up from postal service which was like adding in a little bit more of that dancey vibe to like like you're suddenly hearing the guy from death cab who's like the indie darling of indie darlings at that point doing this very like synthy dancey track so i wonder if there was just a lot of that vibe happening in that music scene of like let's let's get to like more dancey shit let's not do the seven minute like drawn out instrumental ambient stuff and let's like get people happy and dancing for a little bit well alex from franz ferdinand i think it was him who i saw said something that made sense he said you know you have the styles of rock music that either a you're going to stand there with your arms crossed and watch the band play or B you're going to mosh. Like how about we make something that makes people want to dance, which I 100% agree with. I just think that there's just something about their particular music doesn't speak to me. I think it's the lack of emotion and it seems more style than emotion. That would be my only, my only complaint about them. But like I said, I like some of their later music a little bit more. Also, I believe, Matt, that the Scissor Sisters eventually covered Take Me Out. Did I you know think that? you're correct in that. I think yeah. they did. Um, so, yeah, here, here we are. Matt, I do have a little I have a little quiz for you. Ooh, okay. I mean, I do terribly on these, but let's give it a shot. It's only four questions. Okay. Okay. And I, th- I feel like you're just going to be guessing on these. But maybe the listeners can play along and see how well they do. Um, okay. I'm ready. So we know... The Take Me Out was on Madden 05. Okay. Which one of these songs was not on Madden 05? 
Man, oh. I am going to do terribly. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. A, Open Your Eyes by Alter Bridge. B, American Idiot by Green Day. C, Give It Up by Midtown. Or D, Move Along by the All-American Rejects. I would be really shocked if Midtown got onto an NFL game. Is that your answer? That's my answer. Midtown, give it up. You are wrong. Midtown was on Madden 05. How crazy. Wow. It's pretty crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Not like my favorite Midtown song by any stretch, but damn, that's impressive. Yeah. So who was it that wasn't on there? The All-American Rejects Move Along was not on Really? Right. That would have made way more sense to me. And American Idiot (laughs) was another one. It played so much on the game that it made me hate the song. No, that was the... uh, (laughs) Alter Bridge was too deep of a cut to not be there. And American (laughs) Idiot, I was like, I know that I've been in a room where someone was playing football and that song was playing out of their TV. All right. You're 0 for 1. Okay. Okay. Which one of these songs was not on NHL 05? Okay. A, Memory by Sugar Cult. B, Feel Good Incorporated by Gorillaz. C, From Out of Nowhere by Faith No More. Or D, Time to Go by the Dropkick Murphys. You said it was 05? Yep, NHL 05. I'm trying to remember when Demon Day, because I don't think Demon Days had come out yet. So I'm going to say Feel Good Incorporated by the Gorillas. You got it. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah, that won that won the breakout music video the following year. So I, <laughs> well, I so. To, to get my fake answer, I just googled songs that were popular in two thousand five. So yeah, it was definitely out that year. But <laughs> that's uh, true. I just I, I was like, I don't think it would have. Also, I can't imagine that really fitting the vibe of playing hockey. Okay, compared to the other ones, sure. So good for Sugar Colt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Third question. Hey, hey, you're you're doing all right. You got one. Um, which one of these songs? was not one of the 47 songs on Guitar Hero. Now, did okay. you play Guitar Hero? I was more of a rock band guy. Okay. But All right. We'll yeah, me too, actually. But I played some Guitar Hero, too. Okay, which one of these was not on Guitar Hero? A, Killer Queen by Queen. B, Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. C, Best of You by Foo Fighters. Or D, Fat Lip by Some 41. Hmm. I'm going to go with Fat Lip by Sum 41. I feel like that was in Rock Band. No, sorry, Matt. It was Best of You by Foo Fighters. I was, that was the other one I was thinking. I was torn between those two. Because I, I remember seeing people play Killer Queen on Guitar Hero. I, when, when you did Rock Band, what was your preferred instrument, real quick? Um, I like to play the drums. Okay. I did vocals mostly, and then sometimes <laughs> drums. Just because, like, as someone who played... Like, I wasn't a good guitarist, but I could play rudimentary guitar. It is so weird trying to figure out the way that it wants you to strum on the fake yeah, guitar. I mean, it's <laughs> like, just it was like colors. It's not. Yeah, it, it was like really fucking with my brain, though, because I want it to like my like hand want it to do more of a strumming motion and not just like a clicking yeah. motion. And it fucked with me. It so drives I couldn't me do crazy. And I do think they made a band. I think it was called like Rocksmith or something where it actually. Yeah taught you how to play these songs on guitar but mm-hmm. it just didn't take off people just yeah. wanted to click click numbers or click colors along with beats or whatever yeah and even drums drums was easier the harder that you played it at i feel like hmm. because like when i would play it on easy to get started mm-hmm. i'd be like i'd i'd be like this isn't really 
fitting right. <laughs> the tempo of the song. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Last weird. question. Last question <laughs> is, which one of these artists was not part of the 30 Days, 50 Songs project advocating against voting for Donald Trump in 2016? Okay. A, Red Hot Chili Peppers. B, Death Cab for Cutie. C, Jimmy World. Or D, Tim Heidecker. I wouldn't be shocked if Red Hot Chili Peppers tried to not get involved in that. Just like, not that I think that they wanted to vote for Donald Trump, but they seem like one of the more poli- like apolitical bands that I can think of. So I'm going to say Red Hot Chili Peppers. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I've never heard them say anything political. I would really hope that Flea doesn't like Trump. I would assume. No, he I don't think. I don't think he does either. But I. I feel like the Red Hot Chili Peppers have hit that level of famous. That's kind of like the Michael Jordan quote of like, "Will Republicans buy sneakers?" Also, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like they're just like, "Hey, let's just not rock the boat or say anything." I guess. Yeah. Also, uh, on I, know, that, I, I don't love it, but <laughs> part of that project also is Ani DeFranc, Ani DeFranco. R.E.M., Amy Mann, Cold War Kids, JPEG Mafia, Local Natives, Andrew Bird, Modern Baseball, and a whole bunch more. Um, yeah, none of those really shock me. Well, Chris, I think it's obvious for me, so I want you to start off on this one. You've gone through quite a journey. Thunder I or blunder? I came out of getting ready for this episode much more of a fan of uh, Franz Ferdinand. I... I majorly respect the band. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, just because I don't want to listen to them doesn't mean they're not good or something. It just doesn't appeal to my taste. Uh, they're Thunder. I mean, they're still a band. They're still releasing music. They've had other hits. They, I, they're they a cool band. I just don't want to listen to them. They're Thunder. Stamp them. All right. And I mean, I'm right there with you. So there it is. The seal of approval. Certified. Certified. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fallios of the band Punchline and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Stop off the Punchline EP Rewind. Be sure to check out punchline.com for any upcoming news about the band. Our podcast is on Patreon now. Find us at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast for early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and a chance to vote on future songs for us to cover. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on any podcasting app, and tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. Everything is
What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Hey you, did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.